from beautiful downtown Sacramento, it's time for Beach Blanket Fort Bingo! Beach Blanket Fort Bingo! Beach Blanket This is Spaz, and you are listening to Beach Blanket Fort Bingo! That's right. We've got another episode, another jam-packed episode, another fine and funky jam-packed episode. Today's guests include Danny Green from a British band called Leish. And we've got Mike Langley from Twink, the toy piano band. So stick around and have fun, and thanks for stopping by Beach Blanket Fort Bingo! Hey, this is Jody Porter, and you're listening to Beach Blanket Fort Bingo with my man Spaz. Feel free to check out my new LP, Pacifier, and listen to it on 11. the beach, you got the blanket, you got the fort, you got the bingo, you got the podcast, and what's not to love? You know, I'm always in search of the lost chord. Um, ever since I was a kid, all I wanted to do was listen to music. You know, starting with the Beatles and the Monkees, and then going up through through the Osmonds and Jackson Five and and Badfinger, and then going into new wave and punk and and uh, you know straight up to the now. I'm always searching for new music to listen to. So one day I stumbled across this album by a British band called Leish. Uh, the album's called Time Elastic. I threw it in and I instantly fell in love with it. It was a mixture of indie folk and Britpop. And all this wonderful stuff. Danny Green, the main songwriter, just has a knack for, you know, he's got a dry sense of humor. He's, he, well, you know what? I'm not going to tell you anymore. What I'm going to do is I'm going to introduce you to Danny Green and the music of Leish. And we're going to talk about Leish and the new album, Time Elastic, right here on Beach Blanket Fort Bingo! And suddenly I'm not here anymore. some animal and his claw have wrestled me to the floor and I'm not here in forward time the band contracts and yanks me back I'm there again your body's falling I'm there again helpless calling I'm there again before we discuss the new album Time Elastic can you give the listeners a bit of history up until the release of your debut album? I started uh, playing music and, and writing songs when I was about 13. Um, when I got, I got a guitar and a, a drum kit around the same sort of time um, and started playing those, those things. And I, I kind of quite quickly 
um, found myself drawn to to trying to write my own stuff um, whilst also learning other other songs. And uh, I um, I think I think the first album that I made was when I was probably about maybe 14, 15 or something on my four track Tascam little tape machine. And uh, it was with my friend Rob and we, it, my, my band was called Euphoria. Uh, is this interesting? <laughs> and uh, so that, that was the first thing I did. And then, and then a bit later on, I made a sort of instrumental album um, uh, when I was about 18. And that, that was actually the first sort of fairly decent thing that I did, which was in a, in a studio with a, uh, I got some funding from my, from my school at the time to go and spend two days in a, in a studio. And uh, and that was how it, that was how it was back then, you know, just recorded an entire album in in two days. And then I kind of went to university and didn't really do very much music at uni. Um, I, I was more I kind of was exploring things like drama and comedy and you know just being a student and just sort of being a bit lazy. And uh, and then after leaving university, um, feeling a little bit kind of disillusioned and a bit confused by life I, uh, I decided to go traveling uh, to India and spent about a year um, growing my hair and um, wearing purple trousers and sort of uh, you know just sort of uh, losing myself and finding myself in India um, and it was it was while I was there that I think I uh, I kind of rekindled my love of, of uh, songwriting and uh, and playing music and I spent a lot of time traveling around um, with a sort of cheap Indian guitar and writing songs and, um, you know, playing, playing them sort of every, you know, every night I would end up in some kind of, uh, you know, um, restaurant or cafe or something and just play my music to whoever was there and, you know, have jam sessions and stuff you know, people with dreadlocks and bongos. And yeah, so I think it was there that I sort of, I really, it kind of clicked for me and I was like, okay, I really want to do this. And I, you know, so when I came back from India, I, I was feeling quite uh, motivated to um, start recording some of these songs that I'd written. And uh, um, and to be honest, I don't think anything that I wrote there was really any great value. I think I was, uh, you know, I was probably too much in the clouds at that at that moment. And then I think really what, what really sort of clicked for me was when I came to Brighton about maybe a year or so after coming back from India. And uh, that was when I, that was when I fell in with this, this crew called the Willcommon Collective, who are a sort of bunch of um, musicians and songwriters um, at the time. And uh, there was various quite sort of interesting bands like uh, Sons of Noel and Adrian, who, um, who I was playing drum, who I ended up playing drums for quite soon after moving to Brighton. Um, and this was a sort of nine piece kind of, or even 12 piece, I don't know. There was lots of us, um, kind of prog folk kind of band. Um, it was all kind of orchestral and lots of guitars and drums and female singers and male singers and trumpets. And, you know, it was a very sort of bombastic kind of experimental, quite, elaborate kind of band and 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 that, that was I think when it when I started to really find a sense of purpose for what I was doing and and, and a almost like a sort of training ground for what I wanted to do um because suddenly I was surrounded by like really talented 
musicians, songwriters who are playing to quite a high level and who were already making like really beautifully recorded music and actually releasing it and going on tours and booking, you know, tours in like Germany and all over the place. Um, so I was, I was along for the ride and sort of, that was where I started to really like learn a sense of how to be a kind of DIY musician. Um, so it was, it was around that time that I, I started the, the sort of Leish project. Um, I would, I think it was probably about 2007 was when I came up with that name and came up with the idea of, you know, having a sort of moniker for my, for my music, um, and started trying to record stuff, um, again, just in my bedroom and, you know, quite sort of with a kind of quite lo-fi aesthetic. Baby, do not forget, love is a work in progress, love is an object. I dressed you up in whoring gear, stripped myself and without fear, well, I took a knife to my right ear. Was unchanged. Baby, do not forget. Love is a work in progress. How did you come up with the name Leish? I mean, I researched the name, uh, and it was an ancient city now called Dan. Are, are you claiming the name back? Uh, yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, I. Uh, well, my my girlfriend um, at the time um, was Israeli, and she and I'd been to Israel a few times um, because of that. And uh, she and I, I was sort of thinking about you know what should I call my my musical project because I, I didn't really want to call it Danny Green, um, and I kind of still don't really want to call it Danny Green. Um, although in some ways I you know some part of me feels that it might be my life might be sort of more straightforward if it was just called Danny Green, but um, because then people, people would be less confused by the prospect of it. But I think, I think I didn't really, I think I felt that my name was a bit too sort of boring, <laughs> like not boring, but you know, a bit too, bit too sort of general generic sounding. And if, if you Googled Danny Green and the word music, there, there was already various other people who were making sort of like, you know, questionable jazz music or whatever. Um, so uh, I didn't really feel like trying to compete with those guys. So I thought, okay, I'll just I'll just use this name that my girlfriend had uh, suggested, which which had a sort of relationship with the word Dan, you know, this sort of tribe of Dan who had sort of conquered this town of Leish and uh, brutally brutally murdered everyone. Apparently, yeah. Well, you know, I guess that's usually what happens when you conquer somewhere, isn't it? You <laughs> have to kill everyone. Um, so that was it, really. And, and originally, I actually called it the Leish Quartet. Um, because there was sort of four of us. And then I just thought, well, that's stupid because I've got, you know, I, I very quickly realized there was, there was no way I was going to have any kind of stable sort of band lineup. It was always going to be fairly fluid. And what if, you know, what if I wanted to play gigs on my own or, you know, this kind of stuff. So I thought, okay, I'll just, I'll just cut it to, to Leish. And uh, so, yeah, so that happened just before I released the first album. I sort of just made it Leish. And then uh, it's sort of, stuck with that ever since really yeah so Leish has never really been a solid band project it's it's more of a vehicle created for your songs 
yeah, yeah. I'd say that's probably fair to say. I was a young man, desperate to go. I was a young man, better I should have known. I was 18, I was weak at the knees. I was 18, and so eager to please. The first two albums, which is self-titled and obituaries, predominantly acoustic, which most definitely aligned to the indie folk movement. However, the dry sense of humor and knack for writing these catchy melodies certainly added a lot of pop elements to your work. What were your greatest influences as a composer and lyricist? I think for me, what was really important to give me the sort of confidence to play my own music and to, to, even, to even consider writing my own music was the kind of lo-fi movement from the sort of late, I would say sort of late 90s, early noughties. So people like Bill Callahan, um, Bonnie Prince Billy, uh, sort of Jeffrey Lewis, you know, these kind of people, you know, I guess you could put pavement in there. The, the sort of people who were, you know, making the kind of music which sounded quite sort of homemade and quite sort of DIY and very simple and quite lo-fi, often quite badly recorded and sort of, you know, um, but but that that was I think but I actually really loved that stuff and I really loved the the charm of it um, and then I suppose you know d- digging deeper and you know listening to some sort of like even like Neil Young records have that kind of flavour to them sometimes um, or uh, or Leonard Cohen to some extent or you know there's there's a sort of sense of it's like a kind of almost like an amateur approach. Um, to, or, or even punk, I suppose you could say, sort of approach to to performance and writing and stuff. And so I think that was what um, that was what kind of inspired me was that that sense of like, well, if if these guys can do it and can be signed to Dominator Records, then then maybe I can have a go. I'm Those two albums were recorded uh, basically at home. But the third album, Pendulum Swings, was a huge leap forward, both songwriting and production. Now, do you feel that the that recording in a studio encouraged you to bring different influences into your work? While it certainly sticks to the indie folk aesthetic, it's, it's very much closer to a pop album. Yeah, I think... Uh... I think with the album, it, it was kind of like I was trying to be a little bit more kind of honest about what I actually like to hear in music. Um, certainly, you know, in my more recent days, because obviously I was, as I was saying, I was very influenced by that sort of lo-fi aesthetic kind of for, for many years. But it's, it's not as if that's the only thing I listen to now. Of course, I like things which have a very high production value and, I, you know, I like 
I like elements of pop music and elements of, you know, lots of different kind of music. And and I, th- I think I really wanted to just try and do something which would be, um, which would just have sounds and production that was just really satisfying and really, you know, so, so, there, so there wouldn't be a sort of barrier to the listener, if you know what I mean. Um, so, so, so it wouldn't just be a sort of niche. Well, I mean, I guess it is kind of niche, but, but less so, you know, like having a bit more of a sort of pop production sound means that it's just more accessible and it's more just enjoyable to a kind of wider uh, listener. And, uh, and I think, yeah, I think that was a, to some extent a conscious decision because I, I felt like obviously, you know, I, I wanted to keep being, you know, making records and, um, and to be honest, I think every time I make a record, I, I, I sort of think, well, geez, I mean, I'm, this is probably the last time I'm going to do this. I can't go through that again. Um, and, uh, you know, but then, but then obviously I start finding myself wanting to do another one. And so, so with this one, you know, I, I really wanted to make it, yeah, I wanted to push it forward and, and to actually record it in a studio for the first time. Um, the, the, there were quite a lot of firsts for the album in the sense that, it was the first time I'd recorded it, my, you know, my music in the studio. Um, it was the first time I also crowdfunded, um, and well, first and only time I, I crowdfunded, which, which was quite a sort of revelation in itself because it it meant that I suddenly kind of felt connected to my audience in a way that I hadn't really ever felt before. Um, so 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 I was kind of producing. I, I felt a little bit more like I want to produce something which my my listeners are going to actually enjoy you know and it's going to be just like they're just going to hear it and go yes not like oh this is kind of a bit awkward and a bit lo-fi and a bit difficult you know (laughs) Um, you know I I just want it to be something that I would want to listen to myself I suppose is what I'm saying in a quite a roundabout way my girl says you should write a song that goes come on baby shake it and sing along Spotify, wizards added to your playlist This time next year I'll be on the rich list Time Elastic is, in my opinion, one of the best albums of the year so far and contains some of your best material to date. Now, how are you feeling about the way that Time Elastic turned out and the reaction you've had to it so far? Um, well, I mean, thank you. Uh, that's, that's, really, that's really nice to hear. Um, I think, uh, uh, yeah, I think I was, I was, I think I felt quite mixed feelings when I finished recording it in that I felt very confident that I'd made something special and I you know I, I felt like I I was really sort of proud of it and really happy with how it came out but I think on the other hand I, I was feeling slightly like it was uh uh it's quite a sort of um I don't know what the word is like just a bit it's like the, the variety of the album was was troubling me a bit like it seems like it's all over the place a bit to me um in terms of you know there's a sort of motown kind of number there's a sort of you know 
country rock number there's a sort of acoustic folk number there's a, do you know what I mean there's like lots of quite different sort of styles on there um which which I was finding quite di- so I was finding it quite difficult to sequence the album like it it took me I had so many different I mean pretty much every potential order you can imagine happened with that album while, while I was trying to sequence it um and so yeah so the way the way that you hear it now in that order is just fairly arbitrary I, you know at some point I had to just go okay right we'll start we'll start slow we'll kind of build it up <laughs> um and uh but yeah no I, I was yeah I, de- I definitely felt that it, I feel like the production of it is is my is my favorite sort of production you know it's like I really like the way that Tim you know helped sort of color the sound of it and um yeah Tim Tim Bidwell who, who produced it he I think he did a really great job um so yeah I was I was I was feeling very sort of happy with it but um and and yeah generally I feel like that it's been like well received the, the sort of reviews we've had have been very positive and um people seem to enjoy it so yeah so yeah I'm, I'm pretty happy yeah, with I it. think the fact that the album doesn't adhere itself to one particular genre or one particular era makes it actually a timeless piece of work uh would would you possibly agree with that um yeah well i think i think my i think the reason that it kind of came out like that was because when i when i went into the recording um i think i was approaching it from a perspective of what would it was almost like i wanted to make a beatles record or something you know it um and and to have that because i because i find myself getting a a little bit bored by albums these days that just seem to kind of stick to a set you know it's like they they write one song and then they write it 10 times kind of thing um and do you know what i mean like yeah. bands that just kind of have a sound and then they just do that sound for the whole album and then do like four albums of that and then it's you know i i find it a little bit sort of almost a bit disappointing when bands don't feel that they can actually explore other sounds um so so i was going into it thinking well what you know I love that's what I love about Beatles records is how you know you've got a song like Mean Mr. Mustard on Abbey Road or you know and you just think wow like what or what it's basically the White Album I mean you just think well how the hell did they think that that was a good idea but of course <laughs> it, it's it's a great idea and it's it's really cool that they they have this sort of confidence to to just throw all of the ideas in in the pot and see what See what happens, how it all sticks together. So, so I was thinking along those lines, um, and I mean, I, I would, I would say that a song like "Blink of an Eye" from from Time Elastic is, you know, when when we were producing that song, we that was kind of our brief was like, okay, let's make it sound like a Beatles song. That that's what we were trying to go for. Um, so if you go back to that song, then with with that in mind, see what you think. So the gods
is there a track on the new album that you think encompasses sort of the musical and lyrical spirit of the album you know the 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 one track that would be like the best gateway track for a new listener in my opinion it would be the title track time elastic although dance the rhythm is the most overtly commercial song on the album yeah i I think in a way i'd probably agree with you on that Um, uh, i think time elastic has you know like i I really like I, i really sort of um I went pretty deep with those with those lyrics, and uh, yeah, I I feel like that that song there's, there's something it's yeah it's got something quite special that song and and it's it's trying to, it's like really trying to get somewhere and it's trying to explore this sort of concept of like grief and time and um but then dance to the rhythm of course is just complete opposite it's just like let's write a sort of silly catchy pop song and um yeah see how we can see how successful that can be um turned out not very <laughs> um but um you know but it's um yeah so yeah i think i would agree with you on that i think those two really um but yeah time elastic is a very intense song isn't it it's, it's very it's quite like intense and the sort of repetition of it gets it's almost like you're kind of willing it to end by the end of it it's like oh, jesus just finish um <laughs> but <laughs> So when it does, it's almost like a relief, I think. Time elastic, time elastic, time elastic, time elastic, What's next for Danny Green and Leish? Well, basically, I've, I've just um, I've recently moved uh, house and I've got a nice new room, um, which I'm kind of quite keen to um, make into a, a sort of music room. Well, it already is a music room, but you know I want to sort of really do that up and make it really nice. Um, I've got a piano and a drum kit in there and my recording stuff. So at the moment, my, my sort of my immediate plans are to um, invest a bit of uh, money in some new recording equipment and um, you know set up this this room so I've got somewhere I can really focus on 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 writing and then just you know start writing some new material really. For more information on Danny Green and Leish, visit leishmusic.com. That's L-A-I-S-H music.com. So I'm out record and CD shopping with my buddies. And my friend Jim walks up to me and he hands me the CD and he says, this looks like something you're really going to like. So I grab it and it's a CD called Ice Cream Truckin' with Twink. Uh, I turn the uh, turn it over and I look at some of the song titles. Peanut Butter Crunch, uh, Lemon Sublime, 
Rocky Road Dreamsicle. Of course, I'm instantly hooked. I have to know what this sounds like. Uh, well, let me tell you right now, it sounds like a mixture of Pianosaurus meets Perry and Kingsley uh, with a little bit of the residents in there and a little bit of of Kraftwerk. It's this wonderful blend of, of, of mostly instrumental uh, toy piano music uh, with a lot of interesting sounds and great melodies. And I was instantly hooked. And then I find out this guy has like 100 albums out. Well, actually, it's not really 100, but he had probably, you know, over a dozen albums out. And I am hooked. His name is Mike Langley. He operates under the band name Twink, the toy piano band. And I decided that I wanted to share his story, share his music, and introduce all of you to Twink right here on Beach Blanket Fort Bingo! Can you give us a background on your musical exploits before Twink? Oh, sure. That's pretty wide and varied. I grew up in a town. I was lucky to have a really excellent freeform college radio, WHRW, from the SUNY Binghamton local college station, which I ended up DJing later on. And that um, gave me a wide spectrum of tastes. Um, and uh, two of the biggest shows in town on that station were uh, Uncle Pete's Punk Show and Daniel Jan, the Polka Man. So um, I think that influenced a lot of the local bands. So it wasn't unusual to see like a punk band with an accordion or um, rival clown fronted bands. So, you know, a hint of whimsy and novelty throughout the uh, city, I think, influenced me as well. But um, when I was growing up um, in high school, my tastes uh, started going towards um, like thrash metal, uh, pop punk, um, uh, electro and synth wave, things like that. So um, I naturally had to start a dark wave sort of gothic industrial band with friends. And that took several incarnations um, we released a cassette and did some local shows. Um, I was doing synthesizers, electronics, and drum programming, things like that. Um, I finally got sick of that scene. It wasn't really evolving or getting us, getting us much attention. Um, and started selling my gear. And uh, one day, I was just walking through... Um, a street that had a lot of thrift stores and antique stores and a toy piano caught my eye and I thought uh, that looks cute and uh, no pressure if I want to express myself on it and I had no intention of doing shows or recordings or anything I just want to play around and I brought it home and kind of instantly discovered my uh, rainbow and unicorn happy side of course couldn't resist uh 
writing and recording new tunes on that, which uh, at the time, MySpace and MP3.com were just starting up. Um, you know, rest in peace, both of those, I think. And I started posting tracks on there, and people encouraged me to uh, compile the first album and uh, reached out to collaborate with me on that. So there's a ton of people on that that either uh, asked to be on it or I invited and met uh, over the internet. How did you come up with the Twink concept? And I'm not referring to just the music, but the whole visual aspect and the song titles and, and, and just everything combined. Um, I also grew up uh, in an area that was healthy with comic book stores at the time. So I uh, had a big comic collection growing up big interest in that. Um, I took art classes, eventually became an illustrator and designer for a living. And uh, doing a music project, at least 50% of it is an outlet to be able to do the packaging and the concept art and everything. Um, and one of the things that attracted me to listening to music early on was concept albums by like Styx, Kilroy was here, Rush's 2112, you know, basically anything by yes, um, and anything that transported you as an entire experience to like another audio world or, um, you know, a, a movie of the mind, so to speak. the toy piano might be the focus instrument you certainly use a lot of other instruments and noisemakers on your recordings what other sounds can people listen for on twink records yeah the toy piano and similar toy instruments like the a little glockenspiel um, bells and things are the main hook but um when i was in grade school and high school i was in school band as a percussionist and the years I was there, there was just a, a, a glut of other drummers. So I got pushed aside um, to the less popular, more almost Foley instruments like ratchet, fiber slap, uh, vibraphone, timpani, things like that. So I have a real affection for those kind of sound effecty percussion instruments that I also collected over the years. Those show up a lot. Um, and when I can, maybe every other album, I will collaborate with friends or people I meet online to add some more organic or unlikely instruments. Um, everything from typical band instruments like guitar and bass to um, different kinds of horns and woodwind. Um, and then once in a while, I'll do a collaboration with people that just do all out noise uh, kind of a calamity of chairs and pots and pans falling around. Do you think people might confuse the, the joy that's in Twink's music as quote-unquote novelty? I mean, I believe that there's so much more to your music 
than one casual listen could reveal. Yeah, that's that's uh, something I'm always dealing with. Uh, not really worried about, but it's certainly inherent. Um, I grew up appreciating novelty music as much as pop music. And when I was in school, um, there was suddenly a new appreciation for some of the older um, novelty and cartoon composers like Carl Stalling, Raymond Scott. Um, they started seeing reissues um, and people could start uh, rediscovering the music that they did as background music as proper compositions with depth and dynamics. That influenced me heavily. And um, as did a lot of the pop surrealist visual artists that were uh, being exposed at the time in, in magazines like Juxtapose. Um, and I really uh, was drawn to the childlike whimsy and wide-eyed naivety of that. But at the same time, I could see a lot more emotional depth in it um, that uh, everyone from kids to older people feel like loneliness or you know some of the more difficult emotions that you can't escape in life so i i try to uh express that throughout the album um, if not on one particular song describe the music to people uh, I always say it's sort of a mixture of Pianosaurus and The Residents and Perry and Kingsley and other artists that take an unorthodox approach to melodic music in regards to your Twink albums who do you think influenced you the most? Oh boy, it's hard to pin down direct influences but I've always been drawn to um very strong uh, pop-oriented melodies mixed with kind of a, a difficult confrontational overall package. Like I can listen to a Japanese noise band that might clear the room or, you know, a, a, a neighborhood, but I can uh, find myself humming along to some inherent weird melody or rhythm. And uh, I... Um, trying to think of who might have directly influenced me uh, like I said I went through phases growing up depending on uh, who I was hanging out with or what I've been discovering um, so uh, Prince and Devo were certainly big touch points um, they had kind of an experimental approach to the electronics of what they were doing but always uh never skimped on kind of the melodies and the production aspect. Um, listened to a lot of skate punk growing up that had a lot of frenzy to it, but still that pop side, that melodic happy side, like Descendants, um, Circle Jerks, bands like that. And like I said, more recently, 
um, in my later high school and college years. I got into the noise and just pure sound art music like Residence, uh, Mersbow, some of the industrial bands, and tried to filter the feel I got through those as kind of adventurous and uh, just pure sound as uh, noise sculpture in itself, but still finding a way to embed that. seems to have a different musical theme that builds upon the past albums while also heading in new directions. So that's a conscious decision when approaching each full-length project? Yeah, it's about half conscious of trying to think, okay, how can I not completely repeat myself with a limited palette? Um, it'll also be influenced by what's going on in my life. Um, like two of the more recent albums that went back to back, um, Dust Bunny um, and Wide-Eyed Wild Ride. Dust Bunny came about as uh, New England was hit with a kind of a historic blizzard that had everyone cooped up and trapped and some people without electricity for weeks, just everyone feeling almost apocalyptic. In fact, they referred to it as a snowpocalypse. So... Uh, luckily, I had an escape through making music, but the feel and the, the, the tenor of that album entirely has a, a mixture of almost um, uh, abandon all hope, ye who enter here and get trapped, to uh, praying for spring um, and wide-eyed wild ride uh, has a much more uh, energetic kind of carnival sound to it where uh, things were going pretty great in my life um, especially escaping that winter season from the previous album um, but yeah I also have pure concept albums um, the one that deviates the most from the rest uh, the broken record that's definitely like the 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 standout oddity of a discography of oddities if what have you um where um like i said i was all influenced as much by sound art as i was by music on the radio and in the college uh, radio record library and got to love bands like negative land people like us plunder phonics the brand flakes who took uh samples and made uh, total collage art. Um, and I would experiment with that myself. And of course, as you can guess, um, being a, a vinyl lover and a, interested in um, childlike whimsy, I've got a big collection of antique and vintage children's records that I can't resist picking up as much for the sound as for the packaging and the illustrative side of it so 
I spent a couple of years chopping up samples from all those and uh, figuring out ways to get them to work together. And that's what that album is. It's uh, a, a total audio collage of nostalgic sounds with more modern beats uh, and bass lines. And in fact, I got to know the guys from Negative Land while doing that record. And uh, they agreed and were enthusiastic about putting the album out, which seemed like the most appropriate outlet for that. This song is just for you, little kitty. about recording the tracks does it actually start are you plunking out melodies on a toy piano is everything sampled do you write the music and then incorporate the instruments how do you create the average twink song well everyone is a little bit different uh, depending on what instruments i decide to uh, throw together i do a lot of experimenting with melody and just plinking around um, and recording that to a handheld Zoom recorder. Um, and then I'll take uh, those bits and snippets uh, on my laptop and see what works together or pick them apart, use them as raw samples. Um, a lot of the instruments I collect either have a very limited melodic range or have uh, broken keys or keys that are out of tune. You know, they're they're all special in their own way and uh, getting a full melody out of these is sometimes a challenge especially if i want to use uh, a couple in the same song that that don't uh, aren't even tuned correctly so i do a, a lot of manipulation uh, with those snippet recordings turning them into samples most of the time these days now that i have the technology available to me um, when I started out, I was using a digital 8-track, and uh, it would take me days to plunk out a full song melody between a few different instruments. You know, sometimes one instrument playing one key uh, in places where the main instrument didn't have that key for some reason or it was wildly out of tune. Um, but it usually starts with those melodies. And then I will build a track around it with uh, percussive samples or percussive loops that I've recorded with uh, kitchen drawer uh, bits and bobs or odds and ends or something I've collected from friends as like a horn loop or a bass loop. The only bad thing about how I approach my music is it's going to be virtually impossible to reproduce live, which is why I haven't done any actual live shows with this. Mm -hmm. 
I know that they are not geared towards children, but would you consider Twink to be child-friendly? You know, there are dark moments on these records, but children might interpret dark moments differently than, than adults. So do you think that you can play this for kids and they would be just as into it as the music connoisseur? Uh, yeah, you've definitely hit on um, what I'm totally conscious of there and uh, kind of the road testing of a lot of these tracks with friends, kids, or nephews and nieces have given me good feedback, uh, surprising feedback sometimes. When I started the whole project, uh, it was a huge contrast to what I was into or even performing at the time, you know, like dark wave or gothic industrial type stuff. Um, and I wondered myself, where is this leading? How am I going to market or package this? What makes the most sense? And it, alternative bands at the time were starting to get into that niche of children's music, like they might be giants. And I thought, okay, that makes sense at least for a genre tag. And uh, as a designer and artist, I'm also conscious of trying to keep things universal and understandable to a wide range of audiences as possible, both uh, demographic and language, which reasons I've made this purely instrumental and also why I try to keep it kids safe but also not going to turn off adults by being too cutesy or, you know, too much nursery rhyme oriented. And uh, I mentioned the pop surrealist visual artists I was interested um, in when I was in late high school and the college years. One of the things that kind of turned me off about most of that scene is uh, a lot of those artists grasp onto the symbols of childhood naivete like giant bunnies or you know cotton candy things like that but they seem to put in a cynical or kind of cliche edge to it there are very few people in that scene that take it uh, on face value and push it into a, a non-cynical non don't know how to say it exactly it kind of keeping it pure and exploring it as something worth its own consideration rather than as a joke entirely that's what i try to do on the musical side when i say that there's dark moments i'm not meaning it as an evil dark i mean life is full of of, of light and shade i'm glad you you noticed that and that that's something i really try to get across and as it has evolved as a project from thinking it could only be marketed as children's music. I've kind of uh, ramped up that side of it, trying to get a full emotional spectrum throughout an album. Um, and there's uh, certain artists that, uh, I keep going back to the visual artists that influence me probably more than musical artists. Um, are you familiar with uh, Kit Williams, who did a book in the 70s called Masquerade. It was uh, kind of a treasure, a real-life treasure hunt uh, with visual puzzles throughout uh, featuring a rabbit and uh, scenes of nature that were very appealing to children, but as you looked closer, also had 
kind of a dark edge, you know, insects burrowing in the grass or signs of decay in nature and things like that. And, you know, as you go through life, you uh, go through the flower garden, you're going to see those things. You're going to see the worms and the things that are intricately tied to it that are just part of life that you take the good and the bad. Your latest release is a 7-inch EP called Sugar Trip. What inspired this batch of songs? When you were saying before, um, there's a lot of layers and nooks and crannies that you can hear on repeated listens. Um, that's uh, something I've always uh, tried to find a balance to, and I think I've been very heavy-handed in adding layers and layers. And the new tracks, I tried to take a much more pop-oriented, melodic-focused path and dial back all those hundreds of layers to try and focus the uh, the hooks, so to speak. And putting out a 7-inch with just four songs also kept a focus, as opposed to a full album where I have a lot of room to reach out and do an abstract song, something more left field, something with a heavy edge. You know, there's a lot of dynamics I want to hit up and down. Uh, with a 7-inch EP, I wanted to just make it something that might be played on the radio in some alternate universe. What's next for you and Twink? Can we expect a new album this year? And why the hell have we not had a Twink Christmas album yet? Oh my God, that is probably the most requested uh, thing or repeated question. And even with uh, some collaborators I've worked with, they've approached me uh, with ideas, lyrics even, the timing of that is always complicated so i definitely need to bump that up my bucket list actually you know you bring it up probably will encourage me to push that up a couple of notches and maybe that'll be the next thing we'll see uh, but in the meantime um, i've had a bunch of compilation appearances that are just coming out collaborations i did the backing tracks for a Fred Schneider song on a Dr. Demento triple album that just came out. And uh, I'm kind of in a alternative 
post-rock band called Off Ox with some friends uh, remotely. I'm the only member that doesn't play on stage uh, doing electronics and keys, which is kind of flexing different muscles than what I do with Twink. I've had requests from friends to do more collaborative stuff like that, um, non-Twink songs that I want to uh, get out of my system before I focus back on another proper Twink album. And that may influence uh, where I take this project in the future. But yeah, Christmas album, I definitely have to get to it. You can find out more information on Mike Langley and Twink at twink.net, or you can hit him up on Bandcamp at toypianoband.bandcamp.com. Well, gosh darn it, is that it already? Time's up. You've been listening to Beach Blanket Fort Bingo. I'd like to thank my guests, Danny Green from Leish and Mike Langley from Twink. I'd especially like to thank you for tuning in and listening to me, Spaz, right here on Beach Blanket Fort Bingo. And smell you later.